Mayor. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I am excited to be here with you guys tonight. As uh, it's kind of interesting because right now um, most of the nation uh, actually has cold weather, and Florida's like playing with us, like a little bit. Like you woke up this morning, you're like, "I'm gonna wear a jacket," and then you went, "No, that's stupid," because it's probably gonna be in the 90s by the end of the day. And what's fun for me this time of year is uh, we actually, we have something that happens in our house this time of year every single year. And it's kind of, it's kind of become tradition. It's where, and some of you will fully understand this and you don't need to raise your hand. It's where every year we, we go to um, like a Home Depot and Lowe's and we buy a bunch of flowers that look pretty and then we watch them die. Uh, <laughs> because my wife likes really pretty flowers, but she does not have the ability to keep them alive. And, like, that's not, like, a slam or anything like that. Some people do. Some people just don't. And it's one of those fun things that we talk about every year. And I, I've tried to help her understand, like, this doesn't happen. We should stop buying them. Because I'm, like, looking at my money dying at the same time. And so we talk through these things. And it's funny. Every year she's like, no, this year's going to be the year. Your track record shows me that this is probably not going to happen. I'm like, why don't we just get fake ones? And she's like, they're not as pretty. And I said, but they're prettier than dead flowers. And so... Uh, side note, I've always thought that flowers were a really weird thing to give to somebody, like to show you that you love them. Like, hey, look, this is like our love. It's, it's blooming right now, but it's going to die in a little bit. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and, and so what's funny is that one of the last times she, she had some outside. My wife did. She had some, some flowers outside. What I love is she's watching right now, and I, I get to hear it when I get home. And she has some on the inside, too. And so we had some literally on our, our kitchen counter some flowers that were literally right there and I think the idea behind it in her mind was this will be a lot easier to take care of them because I will see them every day and so I will take care of them and and what's crazy is the flowers are literally literally would be about a foot a foot from the sink like literally a foot from the the water that they need to live yet for some reason it doesn't get the water <laughs> And, and, and some people are like, well, why don't you just do that? And I'm like, because I don't want to be the one that becomes responsible for the flowers. Like, I don't want them in the first place. And, and so they, they, they continue and they slowly, and they slowly, it's like literally, it's, it's weird to watch. It's like, it's like literally watching yourself be right slowly through death. And then all of a sudden they die, and I just sit there, and she just looks at me. And it's always fun because we walk in, and finally, like, it's not that they just die. She has to wait for them to really die before she admits it and takes them out. And then when she finally takes them out, she just looks at me, and she says, shut up. And so, and, and here's why I say this. is because, because you would think, you would think flowers being a foot away from water, like a foot away, there's no way that they could die. But here's what we understand, right? There's no, the, what we understand is this, is just being close to the source doesn't allow you to live. Like just being close, just being close, just showing up. And here's why I say that, because I think many times we, we have the wrong idea of what it means to follow after God. And it's become just something that we do. And we have this idea, well, if I just show up into this room, then I'm following after God. Look, just being in this room does not mean you follow after God. Like just doing the things that everybody else does does not mean you follow after God. If you are not actually connected to the source, if you're not actually seeking the source, if you're not actually not being filled up by the source, then what's happening is, and you may not even see it, is you're slowly dying. You're a foot away from the water. Yet the, the inside, the soul, 
is dying. And here, here's why I talk about this, is because really the church that we're going to be talking about today, if you guys didn't know, we're in a series in Revelation. We're talking about the seven churches of Revelation. And what happened in this is, is you've got Jesus, he basically decides to write a letter to seven different churches. And many of them he warns, many of them he actually affirms something they're doing, but he also says, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. And the reason that we're going over it is because, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but history repeats itself. Like the same problems that the church happened, had back then, they have now. The same relational problems that people had back then, we still have, although we think we're special. Like it's always the same things that happen over and over again. And so when we look at this, the reason we're looking at it is we're trying to understand, like how do we not do the same thing? How do we not do the same thing? And the church that he's talking to is a church in a place called Sardis. And Sardis was a, a large city, about 30,000 people, which is a large, large city back then. They actually say this, there was a massive gold rush in this city. Massive gold rush. Tons of people got incredibly wealthy. And on top of that, have you guys ever heard the, uh, the story of Midas, the, the king with the golden touch? They actually believe that this is where that story came from. There was so much gold, so much going on, that a lot of people became affluent out of nowhere. And then at that time, what happened is, is when you had a lot of money, what tended to happen is you created very large temples to the gods that you served. And so there they had these really, really big temples to the goddess Artemis. And they would serve her and they would worship her. But not only were the temples for worship, but it was also for, for commerce and banking. And so you would go to the temple and you would just get all of your chores done at the same time. You would go to worship God, you'd be there to do all these different things. And so in this area, what's different about this city was the main gods that they served were all female gods. They were all female gods. And so, but what had happened is, is they slowly started to take all the attributes of all these gods and put them together into like one God, and they called her the, the mother, the one who, who brought uh, life. And so there's this idea that she brought fertility. And to this day, there's actually people who still worship this God there. And so it was this area that was incredibly full of life. It was an area that people would talk about, oh, Sardis, that's the place where people go if they want to get pregnant, if they want to bring life into the world, all these things. And so what's interesting is, is you see Jesus talking to a church there, a church that's in a place that's considered to be full of life, and he says it very straight. He just says, you're dead. You're dead. And so why, why are we studying this? So that we understand how to not do the same exact thing. So we're going to pick up in Revelation 3.1. And this is Jesus speaking. He says this. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. Why does he always say that? You guys have noticed it says that to the angel. It's because there are spiritual beings outside of us. There are angels and there are demons. And God has angels that help protect us. And what, according to this verse, usually help protect a church. And so he's writing to the angels there. He says, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. He says, I know all things you do and you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Like what's interesting, if you guys notice in all the other churches, Jesus is like, oh, I noticed that you're being persecuted, but stick to it. Or I noticed you've done some really good things, but stay with it. And this one, he's like, you're dead. It's like, he just, I just need you to understand it, 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 it's almost done. Like it's almost done. And what he's doing is he's writing this in here and there's some really cool imagery. You're like, why is he saying to the God of the seven stars? It's because we talked about this before. There's the emperor at this time. His name was Domitian. And Domitian, uh, what would happen is after the emperors would die, they would make them gods. Well, Domitian said, I want to be a god while I'm alive. So he decided he was a god. And he had these coins made and they had his face on them with seven stars representing that he owned the universe. And so what God is saying right here and what Jesus is saying in this moment, he goes, hey, I know in your pockets, most of you, you have a coin that says that God is your emperor, but I just want to remind you he's not. And here's what's so cool about that. 
is Jesus is paying attention to everything that's going on around us. Just a reminder. He, he's not just every once in a while looking around going, what's happening on earth? He's going, no, no, I need you to understand. The thing that you think is God at this point is not God because I am God. He goes on in verse 2. He says this. He says, wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Not very encouraging words. He says, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard at Heard and believe first. Hold on to it firmly. What is he saying right there? Some of you that have been Christians for a long time will fully understand this. You're like, man, why was it when I first came to Christ I was on fire, but now it's dead? Like, and what happened there? And what tends to happen in our life is we start to, to remove Jesus from our life and we start to bring in religion. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And that's what's happened. They, they've kind of removed the Jesus of their life and they brought in religion and what they feel like they ought to do. He says, you need to go back to those things. He says, repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected, as a thief. He's reminding you, hey, I need you to know this. You may think you have tomorrow, but none of us know if we have tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to end. It says, yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Now, here, here's why I think this is important. Because there's some of you in here that, that feel this way. You, you feel like you're the only one. You're like, man, I'm the only one in my family that, that loves Jesus. I'm the only one in my friend group that actually cares about Jesus. Well, I need you to know Jesus sees that. He sees that. He understands that. He's, he's going to these people in this church. He's going, hey, I know you feel like you're alone. I see that you're alone. But I don't need you to just stay that way. I need you to help these other people out. He says this. He says, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to this church. I think one of the things that we've always got to do when we, when we start to read through these things is ask ourselves the, the same question that they're probably asking in this moment. I mean, it was kind of a crazy thought. Can you imagine going, hey, we got a letter. Who's it from? Jesus. Oh, I can't wait to open it. You're dead. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was a downer. But I think we should ask the same question. Like, if Jesus were to write me a letter about my life right now, what would he say? And I'm not saying you got to share that with anybody. But what would he say? Just be honest. Or, really, if Jesus looked at my small group, what would he say? If Jesus looked at my church, what would he say? And, and here's why. Because so often we judge where we are in life based off what other people are doing. And the Bible says it over and over. The only person who we should compare ourselves to is Jesus. He, he goes, and so we, we look at this and we go, where are we in this time? And he, you know, what's interesting is Jesus isn't mentioning they're going through persecution. They're not going through suffering. They're not going through poverty. So what's the problem? They just stopped caring. They just stopped caring. They're looking around and they're going, oh well. And what Jesus said, he said, you, you, you stop caring, so you're, you're dead in this. And why does this matter? Because, I don't know if you guys know this, but over 3,000 churches a year die. They die. And you want to know why they die? Because they stop caring. They stop caring. They stop caring about the people outside the doors and all they care about is what's inside the doors. They, start, they stop caring about what they should be doing and they only pay attention to what they care about. And so what Jesus is saying is, is, hey, I need you to pay attention to it. But the reason he put it into a book that all of us can read is so that we look at it and we go, hey, I don't want to end up in the same place. I don't want to end up in the same place. And what we can many, many times think is we go, well, that's something that old people run into. But I see people's faith die all the time. 
And, and what I will run into so many times, especially with young adults, is, hey, I, I'm going to do that. Like, I want to follow really hard after God. I want to do that, but in my next season, in my next season. I had a friend, Ryan, who, who, is, th- who is this way. He's one of my best friends growing up. Like, grew up, we, uh, he lived across the street from me. Both of us, uh, we were, had the ability, we ended up going to the University of Florida. We ended up living as roommates together, which is always a mistake to live with your friends as roommates. Because then you realize they're all horrible people um, who are very dirty. And, and, so, and, and so we're living, and we would go to church on Sundays. But during the week, Ryan was living the college lifestyle. And he, he enjoyed it greatly, going out and doing all the partying, going up and hooking up with girls, all these kind of things. And what would happen is every Sunday, he would show up to church, and he would sit in the row with me, and he would literally start crying. And he wasn't crying because the, the pastor was going, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. And he wasn't crying because I was sitting next to him and going, you know, you suck. <laughs> like Jesus saw that girl last night. No, <laughs> that's not what was happening. Here's what was happening. The Holy Spirit was convicting his heart. And here's the problem. Is he goes, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. He goes, so my choice is I'm going to give up on this God thing until later. He goes, I don't want to do it until I can do it well. His response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit was not, hey, there's something wrong going on. I shouldn't be doing this. It was, I'm going to wait till my next stage. I think so many times I see this with young adults. Oh, when I get married, then I'm going to care about that. When I get married, that's when I'm going to deal with my porn issues. Right? When, when, I, when I get my first job, that's when I'm going to care about doing the things that God's called me to do. When I, when I do these things, and it's this idea that the building of our lives does not happen until later on in life. Like right now, there's this, just this time right now where nothing really matters and we just get to have fun and then later on it actually does. And you hear people talk about legacy all the time, but you're going, but that doesn't apply to me yet. And, and so many times it's, well, when I get married, you can, you can write this down. Legacies don't start when you get married, they start when you choose Jesus. Because wherever you are right now, God has something more for you. He's already wanting to start to build something in your life. And what's incredible about Jesus, when you read it in there, when he says, hey, you guys are dead because you should repent and come back to me, what is his response in that moment? And then you're going to sit in time out and I'm going to tell you how bad you are. No, he goes, and then I'm going to clothe you in white and you get to be with me. Like, that's the incredible thing about Jesus, is he's not saying, hey, come back to me, and then you, we're going to, you know, we're going to work through all this stuff, and you're going to deal with all this. He goes, no, 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 come back to me. You immediately restore relationship, and we get to go forward together. So he's saying, listen, you are dead at this point, but that doesn't mean you have to stay there. You are dead at this point, but it doesn't mean you need to work off, like, as a penance, all the things that you've done before, and I'm going to remind you of them. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to forget about them, and we get to go forward together. It, it's different. And see, when I talk about death, I'm not talking about a, a dryness of faith. Because some of you in here right now, if you would be honest, you're like, I, I do. I feel like I'm in a dry spell of faith. Everything that I do, I don't feel like I'm getting anything back. But you are seeking in that. So I don't want the dryness of faith to be misinterpretive of it as a deadness of faith. Because in the dryness of faith, many times we are seeking to be filled. We're looking for what God has for us. A deadness of faith is very different to where we have stopped caring, we have stopped looking, and it creeps on, up on us so quickly that we fail to see it very often. So today we're going to have a very happy message on figuring out whether or not we have a dead faith. <laughs> like I'm putting together this message, I'm like, this is kind of mean even for me. Like I was <laughs> just like, yay, let's see if our faith is dead. 
So how do I know if my faith is dying? How do I know if I'm heading that way? And here's the deal. For some of you, this is a message to keep up here. For some of you, I'm hoping this makes you go, oh, I need, I need to do something different. So how do you know? Here's the first question you can ask. Is your faith routine or ritual? And here's what I mean by that. When you show up to church, is it something where you show up expectant, going, man, God, I want God to speak to me. I want to learn something. I want to experience something. Or are you just checking a box? Like, have the regular things about God become just routine? Has it become something that you, you just do over and over? And the problem that happens so often is, is our relationship with God becomes about things we do instead of a relationship with him. Right? And, and when we think about this, guys, we, we understand this. When it comes to a relationship and you're trying to develop a relationship with somebody else, does that person just want you to show up or does that person want you to connect with them? Guys, the answer is connect with them. Actually open up your mouth and talk. I've learned that quality time with my wife is not sitting next to her. She's like, but I want to know your hopes and your dreams. I'm like, I told you yesterday. <laughs> Are you looking to connect? Are you looking to learn something new? Do you think you already know everything? Every time a pastor is speaking, do you go, you know, I've already heard this before. God can't teach me anything this moment. You know what's interesting? I've been amazed at even messages that I've heard before, even messages that I've taught. If I just stay engaged, God says something to me that I didn't expect before. But are we going in that way? Are we, are we heading that way? Guys, we, we know this. Some of you were a part of families that were this way. Your, your parents, they weren't together to get to know each other. They were together for you. And you're like, I'd rather you not be because this is an awkward moment. You can tell neither of you like each other. You're just here and you're just showing up. And that's what some of you are in a place right now. You're showing up not because you want to connect with God. You're showing up because you feel like you have to or it's what you've done before or that's where your friends are and you just won't want to make new friends. Has your faith become routine? It happens in our families, it happens in our relationships, and it happens in our relationship with God. Do you come in expectant? Here's the second question. Have you lost your passion for God? Have you lost your passion for God? You know, people are like, but how do you develop a passion? One of the best ways is just to get next to the person. To talk to the person. It's interesting, I'll just say this, in marriage, it, one of the fun parts is sometimes you're like, I don't want to serve her. I'm not really happy with her right now. And the Bible says, I don't care. God's like, I don't care. You're going to serve her because you love me. And you know what happens? When I start to serve my wife, I start to love my wife more. Because that relationship forms. One of the reasons many of your passions have died is you stopped doing the things that God called you to him in the first place. God's put on your heart the need to serve other people. For some of you, God's like, man, I have put on your heart the need to, to go into a youth ministry and care for those that are in youth. For some of you, it's like, man, you, you notice someone who is homeless every single time. You're like, man, I wish somebody would do something about that. God's going, it's you. You look at the world around you and go, man, there's something that needs to happen. But you've stopped getting next to God and you've stopped listening to God and you've stopped doing the things that God has asked you to do. And then one of the other things that happens many times is you've stepped away from the people that do the same thing. What tends to happen many times in the Christian life is when we see other people going above and beyond instead of being grateful for them and wanting to go with them, we tend to take a step back and we become jealous of them and angry with them. And then we tell other people, like, they're weird. 
it, it's kind of like this. If you take a branch out of a fire, how much quicker does it extinguish? Because if you want to have a passion, you get next to people that are doing the same thing. You spend time with them. You spend time with God. You get alone. I've actually said this before. It's like if the devil can't get to you, he'll make you busy. Guess, you know what? When, when you know when you connect with God the most is when everything is off. When everything is off and you're just talking to him. Has your passion died? Here's the third thing. Do you feel like you are just going through the motions? And I'll say this. For some of you, this is what you grew up in. Like when your parents are like, we're going to church. They didn't say it like, hey, we're happy we're going to church. It sounded like you were going to the DMV. And when they're like, hey, we're going to read the Bible, it wasn't like, yay, it's God's word. It was like, here, go read a dictionary. And so you were born into it. You think this is what it is. Like you're like, this is what it looks like in my life. This is what it looks like to follow after God. And you just go through the motions. And Jesus never said, hey, you know what? If you don't feel it, just fake it. Like, just, 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 just act like you're really following after me. In fact, he actually says this. He goes, hey, if you're not feeling the need to follow after me, your first thing should not be to just go through the motions. It should be to connect back with me. It should be to connect back with God. I'll say this. One of the quickest ways we kill relationship with God, and we're so good at this, is we replace the relationship with ritual. We replace the relationship with religion. And this happens so often. Because here's what we tend to do. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to go through something. We tend to set up boundaries in our life. And what we tend to do is we focus on what we did instead of the relationship with God. So, for example, for example, I I've seen this so many often. You guys have seen this. People who have a problem with addiction, what do they do? They have to go to extremes in order to get away from that addiction. God's a part of it, but they're going through extremes to do that. So they associate a relationship with God to an extreme lack of things. It's taking everything out of your life. It's not about living this abundant life with God. It's about removing everything. And at first, it's great because you remove all the clutter and you can just focus on God. The problem is, is when your life becomes all about removal, when it becomes all about what you can't do, it kills the joy. See, I know this because, and look, I'm going to say this. And I need you not to say, well, Hal said this, so he's saying this about all people today. I grew up Southern Baptist. And Southern Baptists are really awesome at removing all the fun things in life. <laughs> and it's very interesting to see how they do it. And not all Southern Baptists, but definitely the church that I grew up in. And it's really funny because they take verses and they take things in there um, and they take it out of context. Like, for example, if you go to a Southern Baptist church, I grew up, they're like, you can't drink wine. They said the, the wine that Jesus drank wasn't really wine, it was just grape juice. It's like, no, <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> but what they've done is they've gone, well, if you really want to follow after God, here's this line. If you really want to follow after God over on this side, here's this line. And then it's like everything is, is rev like revered that doesn't even need to be revered. Like you could not step foot into my church auditorium unless you had long pants on. And it was all about rules. It was all about guilt. It was all about shame. You know what's interesting? Guilt and shame will actually cause you to follow after God for a little bit. But after a while, you just start to resent him. And, and we see this happening. And we naturally do this in our life. We, we add things to it. And sometimes we, we like that because, guys, it's a very weird thing to just say follow after God. Like, but yeah, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what does that look like? Well, wait for him to tell you. I don't like that. 
give me some actions. And so we tend to latch on to many times religions that have large amounts of actions that don't actually take you towards God. They just give you something to do. For example, I didn't tell Mark I was going to talk about this. The Catholic faith. Nowhere, settle down. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're supposed to pray to Mary. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're supposed to pray to saints. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should anoint saints. In fact, actually in the Bible it says when you follow after God, you become a saint. So it's kind of funny. Actually, if you look into it, the way they do it, in order to become a saint, you actually have to do two miracles after you die. I'm like, how do you even know that? That was, oh, that was her. That, she, that, that was definitely her. And you add in these things. Things that are good. You know what's good? Confession. You know what's not good? Only confessing to a priest. It's not going to keep you accountable. You know what's good? It's praying for people. You know what's not good? Is the only time you feel like you can pray is when you go into a church and you light a candle. You know what's good? Confessing your sins. You know what's not good is the idea that I need to do so many Hail Marys and do this rosary afterwards and somehow that absolves my sin as if I'm a part of it. Here's the problem with that. The moment I think I'm a part of absolving my sin, I think I'm on the same level as God. And the problem is so many of the things are just to make us feel like we're a part of it. Even the idea. The, even the idea of the afterlife. And there's a place that you can go to called purgatory. And this is so weird to me is that then you have to pay a priest a certain amount of money to get your family member out of purgatory. I'm like, so who's a jerk? Oh, you don't have two grand? I guess he's got to stay there. <laughs> and see, what happens is, what happens is, is when you pervert a faith with God, you get perverted things. like it's talking about in this church i'm not saying there's not catholics that absolutely love jesus that is not true i know many that do they do but what i'm saying is one of the easiest things that kills our faith and i have many people that come to grace family church and say i grew up catholic i never understood well not that you can't but it gets in the way that's why it's so interesting when I hear all these people talking about deconstructing their faith. I'm like, thank God, because we need to. I had to deconstruct my faith. Now, the difference is, is I don't deconstruct my faith and go, well, because that priest or that pastor told me this, that means I don't believe in God. It goes, no, 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 they, they just got it wrong, and I need to look back at God's word and figure out what's right. And if we don't do that, guys, hear me on this. If you grew up in church and you don't do that, what you don't realize is you're putting your faith in things that will kill your faith. You're doing things that aren't bringing you closer to God. They're just doing something. And sooner or later, it catches up to you where you start to ask the question, why do I even care about this anymore? So we do. We've got to pay attention to what we believe. We've got to pay attention to the things that we've added. We've got to pay attention to the things that our parents added to our faith. Not because they wanted to hurt our faith, but because they thought it was a loving thing to do in the moment. Do you feel like you're just going through the motions? Then there's the question you should ask, are, are these even the motions Jesus asked me to go through? Or are these just things somebody else made up? Number four, do you care about people and whether or not they know Jesus? 
you have friends that don't know Jesus, do you ever pray about for them? Like, do you ever, like, feel bad? Like, do you ever go, man, I, I want them to know this? Do you look at your city around you and go, man, there's something that needs to change? There's something that's absolutely not good here? Like, I think that's one of the first things that happens. Like, we, we stop caring about a relationship with Jesus, but we also, we stop seeing the need. See, I think it's awesome that, that the exchange is taking a trip to DR, right? To DR. Because it's an incredible thing to be able to do. And God, well, here's what's incredible about mission trip is God's going to work in the DR, but God's going to work in those that go there. And what happens is you go over there and what you see, like I've been on many trips to Haiti, what you see and what's so, so prevalent is you see all the idols and all the things that, that are there that are normal to them. And we're like, that's not good. Like when I would go to Haiti many times, we would go in and one of the crazy things that happens there is you've got voodoo and you've got Christianity that are intertwined. And so every time I've been to Haiti, one of the main points of every single message was, hey, Christians, stop doing voodoo. And you're like, that's a, you have to say that? And we would be there, and the creepiest thing that would happen is we'd be on our compound, and we would hear the voodoo drums in the background. And you know the demonic activity that's going on in those moments. And it's so easy to go, man, they have so many idols. But then we come back home, and we're like, well, we're pretty good. I had a friend who brought in a pastor from India, and they brought them in, and they're just kind of showing them around the entire place. And here's the thing about India and, and Hinduism and all that. There's tons of idols. Like, it's a regular thing to have idols all over the place. Like, idol worship is a big, big thing. And so they got to the end of the trip, and they were, they were showing them all, all over the place. And they go, man, aren't you, uh, aren't you excited that you got to, to be here? And, they, and the, one of the pastor's wife actually says, well, really, I'm just so happy to get home. You guys have too much idol worship here. He's like, really? He's like, you're the ones with all the dolls and everything. And he's like, yeah, but you build stadiums for your idols. She said, you actually believe that the hope is in a presidential candidate, not in Jesus. That you guys have entire shows that all they do is talk about famous people. what's interesting is like it, 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 it sucks to think about but think about how quickly that happens how quickly we can easily take anything in the world around us and put it above God because it's easier to focus on that it's easier to focus on a football game because I have no real part in it I have no real mission in it it's easier to focus on somebody else's life that's famous than it is my mind on mine like I'm so tired of hearing about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I hear people go, oh, I bet she's going to make it. I'm like, if she picks him, she's probably not going to happen. Because she's bad at that. Oh. I'll give you guys a little bit of a piece of advice. If you keep dating jerks, there's a problem because you're picking them. Somebody should make a song about that. But it's so easy to be caught up in so many other things. So be easy to caught up in everything that is going on around us that we forget. That we forget that we live in a city that is one of the most unchurched cities in the world. That we have neighbors and family members that don't know God and we don't care. We have, we have one of the highest rates of sex trafficking in Tampa, if you didn't know that. Like, if you wonder, well, the strip clubs don't just have people that 
now. And yet we can so easily forget about it. That's my question. Did you, did you stop caring? Do you, do you stop looking around and going, man, I, I wonder about the people that are around me. I pray for the people around me. My heart hurts for those that are around me. Because one of the biggest things that kills a church and kills a relationship with God is they only care about themselves and they don't care about people on the outside. They stop caring about bringing people in. They stop caring about other people's lives and how they can serve and help other people that are around them. John 15, 13 says this, says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's one's friends. The church in Sardis was surrounded by people that were worshiping Jesus, and they didn't care. They were surrounded by people that were worshiping Jesus, and they had lost their draw for Jesus because they had lost their relationship with God. Do you see your city? Do you see the people around you? Here's my last question for you. Would it bother you if the church closed? Would it bother you if your church closed? Or would you just go, you know what, I guess I get another night. Or I guess I'll just find another church. Like, would it bother you that it actually ended? Or is the only thing that ended a place that you go? Because we've said this before, the church, and I say the church closed, the church is not a building, it's the people. So if you don't care that the church closed, that means you're not really a part of the people of the church. You're not truly a part of the church. Would you be angry? Would you be angry if the style of the exchange changed, but a thousand more people came in? If they did something different, would you go, oh, man, I wish the good old days would be back, which is funny because then you would sound like you're old. Do you get mad when things change, even though they're affecting other people in a good way? Do you care more about your preferences than you do about the people coming in to get to hear about God? See, the answer to all of these things, the answer to, to keep your faith from dying, the answer to, to keep yourself from that place, it, it, it's a very simple but tough answer at the same time. It, it's very simplistic, and it's really, this is the answer. It, you got to grow. Because we're going one way or the other, right? Like the idea that we just stay in one place is not true. It's just not. You're either going towards God or we're going away from God. And so the answer that we have to do is we have to choose to grow. And why is growth the answer? Because living things grow, dead things never do. It sounded really profound in my head. Living things grow, dead things never do. Why is our faith stagnant? Because we stop doing the thing that God calls us to do. You know, every step of my life, God has grown me, not in the mundane, not in the things that I just already was doing, but when he called me into something new. Like my faith grew immensely when I went into youth ministry. My faith grew immensely when I got married. My faith grew immensely when I had kids. My faith grew even more when we started doing foster care. When we started bringing kids in that we had no idea who they were and we just chose to care for them and love them not understanding what was going to happen. Our faith grew when my wife looked at our church and said, we need a prison ministry. Like our faith grew when we took that big next step. See, one of the reasons that you're stagnant is because you know God's calling you to do something. You're like, I don't really want to do it. That growth never happens in comfort. It always happens right over the edge of it. 
Because when he brings us out of comfort is when he, when he grows us, when he shows us something new. Guys, and we, you, you want to grow. We, we love to grow. We, we want to do these things. And so often we're going, but this, this, is, this is what I, I am right now. Look, that, I'll, okay, I'm going to go in on this for just a second. I love personality tests, and I also hate them at the same time. And there has not been a generation that knows more about itself that needs more counseling than your generation. And here's one of the biggest reasons why. is because we take personality tests and we go, that's who I am, not realizing who God can make me. When you learn about yourself, never is it, oh, man, this is just who I am. It's like this is the start. This is the beginning of what God's going to do. This is the beginning of who he could make me into. Yes, I stink at this part of life, but what could God do? How could God change that? How could God move in me? You know what's interesting to me is even Jesus grew. Like I, I'm always like, it's a weird thing to, to download this verse. Luke 2.52 says this. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all people. And it's weird for me to say that because he's God. Right, what do you mean he had to grow? Like, what, do you, what do you mean Jesus grew in wisdom? Like he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And I think this is what it is. Wisdom is where you get to the place where you understand what God has for you is better than what's right in front of you. Because what's right in front of you is what we want to do. Wisdom says there's something more. Wisdom says there's something better. Wisdom says, yeah, you can pay attention to that right now as a distraction, or you could focus on your legacy that God's trying to build in you right now. This verse has always stood out to me. Because God, God, God grew Jesus in wisdom in the same way he's growing us in wisdom. So we've got to decide, man, I want to grow. I want to go to that next place. And what we need to do many times is we need to be reminded of what's possible. There's a couple ways of doing that. There is the ability to look at what Jesus did. You know he's going to do it again. Can I give you a very simplistic way? Is find somebody that loves God, that is older, that has good relationships, and say, how did you get there? Because if we don't aim for that, have you seen the other side? The angry, the bitter, the person that said, I just did whatever I wanted, and now I realize what I built was nothing. God has something more for each of you. And here's, here's why I'm talking about this, and this is why even, I'm even saying this, is because I'm probably looking into your future further than you are. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a bad way, just because I'm there. Like, I'm looking to where you're going to be when you're, when you're my age, like 25. I remember my dad used to say this. He goes, I, I'm not raising a godly kid. I want to raise a godly 35-year-old. And I was like, well, why? He said, because the goal is not to have a kid that follows after God. The goal is to have someone who ends up being a husband, who ends up being a father that loves Jesus. So in the same way, when I'm telling you these things, I'm not telling you these things and saying, hey, you got to start now because I'm going, man, I just, you know, feel like talking to you about this. I'm telling you these things because I know this, what you're doing right now matters. The steps that you are taking matters. And if you're sitting here right now and for some of you, you grew up in church and you're kind of realizing your faith is dead, you have a choice. 
You have a choice, and the choice is not to just sit and feel bad about Your choice is to go, you know what, God, I've messed up. I've been doing the wrong things. I promise I want to follow after you. And he says, hey, here's some robes with white. Let's go do something with that. Can we pray? God, I just thank you. God, I thank you that you want more for us, even when we don't really believe that we could have more. God, I thank you that you want to do more in us, even though we don't think we could do those things. God, I pray that you would just awaken us today to the fact that you have something more, something better. God, please allow us to really search our hearts and search our lives. God, allow us to take the things that are just religious and remove them and find our first love in you. God, allow us to be uncomfortable in the fact that you may not have told us what's going to happen, but you're still going to guide us. And every step I take out of my comfort zone is an area that you're growing in my life. God, we thank you that you don't waste anything and everything that's happened to this point you'll use anyway. So there's no reason to focus on it. God, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray.